Welcome back to Normalize This. This is your host, Ryan Kippist, and my co-host here, Rob. How you doing, Bubba? All right, man. Sounds like it's been a long week for us both. You want to yes, get down to business? Definitely. Let's do it. So um, I picked this first one for you, you know, because I love you. It says, bisexual grad bucks BYU's anti-LGBTQ stance with pride flag display. So Julian Orr opened up her graduation gown to reveal a rainbow flag as she walked across the stage <laughs> at Brigham Young University in Utah. Yeah, that's, so. <laughs> it brings a tear to my eye. It really does. I'm so proud of her. Her Someone younger that... sister actually suggested displaying the flag. She knew that she wanted to honor what um, she had been through and what she had faced. <laughs> I'm yeah. I so on the on the uh, Twitter story for KUTV two news, they actually show her on the jumbotron. She's on the on the stage receiving her diploma and opens up her gown, and you see the pride flag there inside of her gown. That's like seriously very cool because I mean, it's so marginalized when it comes to religious universities and stuff like that, and especially especially Brigham Young being a a typically very Mormon-versed uh, uh, university, and to see that actually play out and someone stand up, you know, a young person stand up and really, really uh, make a statement is really cool. Very touching. Yeah, and you know what? That's that's really brave, especially knowing what that you're in a very, very conservative area or a very straight space, as I like yeah. to call it. And knowing that you could get a lot of feedback, um, negative feedback from it. I, I, hats off to her for, for going out there and, you know, with pride and standing up and showing her true self to everybody around. Exactly. And she already got the degree, so it's not like they can do much more to her right. <laughs> at that point. Like they tell you in high school, we're going to withhold your diploma if you do anything. Well, go ahead. I still graduated. Exactly. <laughs> I'll pick it up later. Exactly. Good. Exactly. Um, BYU, whose main campus is in Provo, Utah, is affiliated with the Church of uh, Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, a.k.a. the Mormon Church. It forbids dating or displays of affection between members of the same sex. Uh, the U.S. Department of Education recently held that the university can maintain this discriminatory policy and still receive federal funds because of a religious exemption. Mm -hmm. BYU and the church have repeatedly made their anti-LGBTQ plus stance clear. In a speech last year, one of the church's leaders, uh, Jeffrey Roy Holland, said university faculty and staff should take up their intellectual muskets to defend the Mormon church, especially the doctrine of the family and marriage as a union of man and a woman. Gosh. So it's not like you know, I, I went to Dallas Baptist University yeah. and and their actual handbook states if you get caught doing any of these um, you know, homosexual acts and you be disbarred or kicked out of the school. And it was not not something that they actually followed through with because there was a lot there was a lot of LGBTQ students on campus um, and they were easily easy to identify both male and female. But this school is actually saying, hey, teachers. Mark it out. Make sure people know. Uh, stand up for the one man, one woman, and and the no LGBTQ uh, peoples. 
up in here and they still get federal funding, which I think is really bullshit because if you're gonna have any discriminatory practices at all, um, then you shouldn't be able to receive federal funding. And that's the whole thing with the religious, religious exemption that's keeping them in the money is bull. Like you shouldn't be able to receive any federal funding if any type of discrimination is going on. And, and, school, and there's precedent out there. Schools have gotten in trouble for this. In fact, there was one here in Texas that was uh, kind of the reverse of affirmative action. Um, it was Prairie View A&M got in trouble. This was years back. They got in trouble for uh, excluding white students from their campuses and, and accepting black students over white students. And Prairie View A&M is typically, you know, a black university. Uh, mm -hmm. It's not exclusive, but it is typically that's that was uh, kind of what their campus was designed around. Um, Lord help them. They couldn't go to actual uh, Bryan College Station because Bryan College Station is way too white. Right. But, <laughs> but they did get in trouble for that. And uh, I kind of at the time thought, yeah, you know, I mean, I get what the culture there is and what they're trying to achieve but at the same time if you want to receive federal funds and be a state university you can't do that that's a no-no um the one thing the one uh, university i was happy to find which i just looked up was uh tcu texas christian university um it actually has a, a student-run gay straight alliance and oh. uh uh, TCU allies are members of faculty and staff who welcome and affirm cel and celebrate persons in the LGBTQIA communities of Texas Christian University, which I found very refreshing because I, I you know, my personal yeah. bias immediately kicked in and I was like, <laughs> yeah, TCU is going to be awful, isn't it? Because yeah. my, my grandmother went there and it kind of holds a place in my heart. And I'm like, please don't, please don't. And then I saw it. And I was like, oh, that's awesome. So, um, and, and also something, something uh, in the verbiage caught me um, that's very, very uh, telling and uh, important for people to, is to know is not, uh, not just accepting, it's affirming. Right. And Ryan and you and I had talked about this last week, a little bit about, mm -hmm. um, finding a therapist that is mm -hmm. affirming and not just accepting um, and what that actually means. Basically uh, affirming and Ryan, you can correct me if I'm wrong. Affirming mm -hmm. is not just, uh, you know, accepting who you are for who you are and stuff like that. It's actually, you know, uh, where the rubber meets the road, you know, they are behind you 100% and not just accepting. Am I correct right. in that statement? Yeah. Accepting means like, it's okay to be gay. Where affirming is, I understand that there's a difference between gay and straight, and there's uh, different problems that gay people will have versus straight people, and I'm here to work on those with you as well. So yeah, it's taking that deep dive into going that I know that there's differences here, and it's celebrating and exploring those differences between you know straight and gay students or straight and gay people um, in therapy. So that's that's uh, the difference between accepting and affirming, because accepting is like, oh, that's cool. That's okay, no problem. Whereas affirming, say like in a church, if gotcha. a church is accepting, then they allow gay people in and their sermons aren't gonna be a negative towards uh, gay people, but they probably won't be in the leadership or things like that. Whereas affirming, right. 
and they actively involve the LGBTQ people in leadership as well as not preach um, anti-LGBTQ stuff. So, I mean, it's, it's a big deal. Um, and that's really awesome that TCU does that. I mean, Dallas Baptist University was a private university, mm-hmm. uh, but they still received federal funding because right. they still got all those Stanford loans and stuff. Yep. Mo- but, mo- and most universities do. That's that's mm-hmm. kind of the, the going rate with that. Um, I always think of when I think of cases like this, I think of the Ivy League schools and how they oh. historically uh, excluded, you know, minority students and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um in fact, I heard a story yesterday about uh, Harvard and the gentleman that it's named after owning slaves there and uh, really being a whites-only college up till, you know, the late 60s. Yeah, makes sense. <laughs> especially yeah. especially being so expensive and being that upper It's, prohibit- it's prohibitive to, to, you know, minorities that can't afford it. So, I mean... Mm-hmm. And they did that on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> so, moving on to some social media fun. Did you know that Russia has fined Meta, which is uh, Facebook, and TikTok thousands of dollars over their LGBTQ Ooh, content? Mm-hmm. That's no surprise. <laughs> Apparently, tech companies are often fined for not removing content that the Kremlin has restricted. So, both Facebook's owner Meta and TikTok have been fined by Russian courts under the country's 2013 anti-gay propaganda law. The fines stem from the companies not removing LGBTQ plus content from their platform, according to Russian media cited by Euronews. One court in Moscow fined Meta the equivalent of $53,000 on Tuesday, and another court fined TikTok $26,000 on on that same day as well. The judges in the case ruled that the companies did not take down posts Propagating homosexual relations, according to Radio Free Europe, Radio Liberty. I think you talked about Radio Liberty before. Yeah, yeah. Um, media regulator, I can't say his name, um, filed the complaints. Um, it was not clear what content the platform failed to remove, but Euronews notes that the social media companies are often fined in the country over not deleting content the Russian government disagrees with or that may be linked to the country's political opposition. Um, Russia. Girl, this isn't a good look for you. <laughs> no. You're already in a fucked up war. And then <laughs> you want to go on the stance of uh, finding companies because they go against your um, don't say gay policy. Come on now. This this kind of this kind of brings us full circle. I feel like to the "don't say gay" bill because <laughs> mm-hmm. so part of the gay propaganda law that they enacted in 2013 uh, barred any mention of LGBTQ plus issues in venues uh, accessible to minors. Mm-hmm. And then Vladimir Putin even went on to to call the acceptance of. Uh, the trans community as a crime against humanity. And I'm just like, this is this is one of those, you know, Gestapo laws that I absolutely detest. And it it makes my heart hurt for the people there, especially the LGBTQ people. You know, oh, it, yeah. it's it's something it's one thing to marginalize. It's a completely different thing to uh persecute. And yeah, and you know that we discussed uh, the persecution of gays in uh, Chechnya mm-hmm. and the, the Chechnyan leader that was kind of the 
driving force behind that actually was killed in Ukraine, in the Ukraine, uh, during one of the attacks or one of the battles. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it's just, it's one of those situations that just makes my heart just sink because to think people are that backwards still in such a progressive world hurts. It hurts so bad. It just reminds you that, you know, not everywhere, uh, in the world of their open thinkers or ability to have this open dialogue. It's, and it's funny because when I went to look up the differences between Ukraine and Russia, as far as your LGBTQ policies and stances, Russia has a policy of, you know, transgender people can have the trans affirming uh, operation, can change their uh, gender on their uh, documents and stuff like that. But yet, it's seen as this, you know, abomination or blight on the world from their point of view, which is so strange because I know that some of the leaders or people that work with Putin are LGBTQ. And from what I've heard and read in other areas is he doesn't really give two shits, but it's because the population still has this real, real bad, um, religious hate against it like we had talked about before um but it's still so ingrained in their culture and who they are that uh it's just so dangerous and i don't understand why people um lgbtq people period go to russia i mean i'm sure russia is beautiful and it's got lots of culture and um you know lots of history and I would love to go and check it all out, but Same. I don't want to put myself in a situation where I could get, you know, imprisoned just for being who I am. Not only that, I don't want to be a purveyor of, of a country or its businesses mm. because, yes. you know, if it's going to support that kind of that kind of legislation, that kind of persecution, I don't even want to, you know, spend my money there, much less go there. Right. And Agree. And Ryan, I really want to go to Russia, man. I, I really I want to go see, the, go see the culture, you know, uh, experience uh, some, of the, some of the things that Russian culture has to offer because, you know, a lot of people don't realize uh, Catherine the Great was uh, amazing when it came to Reformation as far as, you know, bringing a, a period of enlightenment to Russia mm-hmm. and uh, to think that, I feel like that's all been washed away by everything from, you know, the, the socialistic, uh, despotistic uh, tendencies that Russia's had in the past hundred years, as well as, you know, everything that's going on now. Well, Catherine the Great really had to fight against not only like the patriarchy itself, um, but well, she had uh, to, depo- she had to depose <laughs> her husband. She did. <laughs> She did. She did. And she had him locked up for the rest of him life. She was a bad bitch. I I know. I love her. Um, But she also had to fight against the church. And she had to figure out ways um, to go around the church and and make the church be okay with the things that she wanted to do, which was teaching women how to read and write, you know, teaching uh, enlightenment thought that comes from the other side of Europe, trying to make... um, russia one of these shining jewels in 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 europe and she did and she did and she did a great job with it she created so many universities um she lifted up so many different um women into powers of uh, positions of power and 
Was, and if I remember correctly, beautiful. she helped she helped uh, get rid of the feudalism and serfdom in Russia and actually, you mm-hmm. know, brought the people up out of, you know, basically the ditches of of humanity. Yeah. And allowed them to have a say in the government and in, you know, daily daily life rather than just having them in servitude and basically, you know, common slaves. Um, yeah. The nobles so, were not too happy about that. <laughs> yep. So speaking speaking of uh, idiots that like to hold people down, I'd like to bring up a story real quick. Go for um, it. This was actually from uh, last year, but it's something that I became aware of uh, today when I was reading another story. Um, everybody knows the My Pillow guy, right? Mm-hmm. And I never realized his politics or who he was until today because there was something that came out about. Um, he was his lawyers were helping uh, a gentleman that was a elections official in Colorado. Um, but the elections official in Colorado was trying to obtain the data out of the election machines to prove that he could hack the election machines and that Trump actually won the election and all this. They actually pulled the data, you know, mm-hmm. that, that didn't look correct. Um, but his lawyer, the my pillow guy's lawyers are the ones that are are standing up for this guy. So another story that that I came across on uh, his name is uh, Mike Lindell, the mm-hmm. my pillow guy. Um, he so he has the my pillow. Well, David Hogue, and if you don't know who that is, that's the uh, the gay gentleman that was actually a part of the Parkland shooting. He was he was the uh, the survivor that was very visible on TV calling for, you know, uh, gun control and, and mm-hmm. uh, gun law reformation, essentially. And uh, he started his own rival, MyPillow Company, <laughs> for LGBT <laughs> uh, support. Really? And I was like, that, okay. is, that, is, that is awesome. Um, that is how we I, do it. I, I never realized what a piece of shit the MyPillow guy was. <laughs> I mean, just seeing him on the on the news um, supporting Trump in the first place, I was like, oh, you are a piece of shit, just like he is. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. And I mean, I don't even know if I've ever bought anything from him, but it sure made sure that I didn't in the future. Exactly. Exactly. Because my first thought was, well, damn, I'm never, ever buying a pillow from him. And if, mm-hmm. if I, if I stay at a hotel that, that exclusively offers my pillow and be like, nope, I'm mm-hmm. out. Got to go somewhere else. Yep. And that's that whole thing with, um, you know, fighting with your dollars. Yep. I think is a really, really, really great way to, especially in our capitalist society, really great way to stick it to the man, because if they're not getting the money, then they don't have as much power. They don't have as much power. They can't do as, do as much damage as they have been. So I, I, I think he's such a prick though. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because, he wasn't like, oh, yeah, I support Trump. I think he's great. He was like, I support Trump. I think he's great. And everyone else is a bastard. And I was like, whoa, yeah. bro. Yeah. I mean, be you, but damn, don't attack everybody else. But then again, that was par for course for anybody that was following Trump at that time and still does because, you know, the Republicans are still a thing. Let's move on to something a little lighter. Um, from the advocate, um, the LA Gay Club Oil Can Harry is now designated as a historical, uh, historic cultural monument. 
Um, the Gay Country Western Bar, which provided line dancing and a watering hole for the LGBTQ community in Los Angeles' Studio City neighboring, uh, neighborhood for 52 years, closed last year. So, Did you ever get uh, a chance to go there when you were in L.A.? I didn't. I wanted to, but my friends were DTLA and the Got Eagle it. and um, Fault Line. I really liked Fault Line, but it's closed now, too. <laughs> uh, but... It was um, the legend, the legendary uh, Studio City Bar and Nightclub that was closed in 2021 was recognized earlier this month for its historic and social significance to the uh, San Fernando Valley and the LGBTQ community. So the Los Angeles City Council designated the building a historic cultural monument and a 14 to zero vote, which and apparently Councilman Joe uh, Buscano was absent for that vote, probably on purpose. Yeah. Um, of more than 1,200 historical cultural monuments in the City of Angels, Oil Can Harry is, is only the third LGBTQ plus structure that has received the designation. Um, it opened back in 1968 and was the longest running LGBTQ bar in Los Angeles, closed after the property only, owner sold it to, to a buyer who did not want to continue operating it as a gay bar. They said that uh, when Oil Can Harry's opened in Studio City in 1968, it was illegal in Los Angeles for two men and two women to dance together. So that was uh, in 1969 was when the uh, Stonewall riot happened. Yep. So even in Los Angeles, one of the most, um, I guess, open and diverse cities in the world, it was still illegal for, for us to dance with each other in 1968. The second, count, the second district councilman, Paul uh, Corikian, stated that at a time when LGBTQ people were routinely subjected to police harassment and even arrest, Oil Can Harry's was a place of refuge for LGBTQ people. Uh, designated, um, they designated Oil Can Harry as a historic cultural monument, honors the heritage of LGBTQ solidarity and social justice activism in Los Angeles. So basically, Stonewall was in New York what oil can Harry was on the West coast in LA. Yeah. And because I know that you remember, but just a quick history lesson, Stonewall was actually a bar. And in that bar was where they would allow people, LGBTQ people to openly show affection to each other, which was illegal at the time because of the morality laws that were in place. Police would routinely raid it. Um, they would take people to jail just for being gay or just for being trans or just for being, um, anything outside of the norm until one time Marsha P. Johnson, who was getting actually arrested at the time, screamed. Oh, uh, no, I'm sorry. She wasn't getting arrested. Another um, trans person was getting arrested and yelled out, are you just going to let them do this to us? And Marsha P. Johnson was the one who threw the first brick at the police officers and then started a five day uh, riot in that New York, New York district. And that was the jumpstart to the LGBTQ um, rights movement. And so because of them, now we have all of these different things that are now in place. We cannot get fired at work for being gay. Uh, we can get married now. Um, all of these things that we weren't able to have were because of the Stonewall riot in 1969, where people put their, their lives on, on the line to fight back against police brutality, these morality laws, and all of these things that kept restricting and putting down um, LGBTQ people. And the crazy thing is, is that Russia is in the 1969, 1968 period, 
where that's what they want to do versus, um, you know, the U.S. has come a long way since then. So I think it's fantastic that these places where the people met and where all these things happen, um, yeah, it's a bar, but that was their community spot. That was a community resource. That was where they went together to organize, where they went together to, you know, put their plan of activism together and have drinks and dance with their partners and, you know, be able to show affection and to them, their partners and the other people in their community. So I really, I really love it when, when places like that um, get recognition like this because it's so few and far between. You only have three of them in Los Angeles that are even recognized like that. The only other one I know besides Stonewall and then of course Oil Can Harry's is, uh, what is it? The Upstairs Lounge in uh, New Orleans. Um, for those that don't know that, that building was burned, uh, with gays inside and it was mm-hmm. called the upstairs, upstairs lounge arson attack. And it took place, uh, June 24th, 1973. So mm-hmm. it was following, it was following all of this and they were, oh, they no, were no. also being persecuted by the police, the local population, um, all of this. So it's also, uh, I want to say it's deemed a historical monument now, but it's about the only other one I know that has to do with LGBTQ. Um, so another another point uh, to what you were saying, I've had a lot of uh, straight people, including uh, my daughter, ask me, you know, what the significance of Marsha P. Johnson was, and my answer is always, she's one of the foremothers of of you know, our movement and our, everything we have today, uh, mm-hmm. as far as I'm concerned, you know, that, that started legitimate revolution. Um, it really, it really pushed us to say, you know what, we're going to fight for what's ours. We're going to fight for equality with what's ours mm-hmm. and definitely hats off to her. And, and, you know, Los Angeles is not, um, not any place that shies away from these types of things. I mean, we had Harvey Milk back in the 70s, I believe. Mm-hmm. And Harvey Milk was one of the first openly LGBTQ um, council members, if I remember correctly, um, in, in Los Angeles. And he stood up for the whole phrase of, you know, uh, we're here, we're queer, we're not going anywhere. And uh, he was a really brilliant man. And he, he helped people come out of the closet and people would get mad and they're like, well, why do you want people to come out of the closet? And his thought was, you know, if enough of us come out of the closet, then we can't be ignored anymore. If enough of us come out of the closet, we can be seen as your brothers, your sisters, your neighbors, your friends, you know, your doctors, your lawyers, just regular everyday people, which, you know, most people that are anti-LGBTQ are like, oh, you want special treatment, you want special, it's no, you want equal treatment. You want to be able to do the same things that everybody else does that is not LGBTQ and it not be an issue. Simple things like we've talked about before, walking down the street with your partner's hand, hand in hand, giving your partner a peck on the cheek or a peck on the lips out in public where, you know, straight people can do it and have been able to do it forever and it's never been an issue. So Henry, Henry Milk was actually asked one time in an interview because he had been receiving lots of death threats and he had received lots of death threats since he was openly gay uh, in politics. And he said, if I, if 
I take a bullet to the head. May it blow open every closet door in this whole nation. Because he wanted uh, there to be so much representation of visibility of LGBTQ people that uh, there was no way that you could silence us or no way that you couldn't recognize that we are here and that we exist and that you know we have a right to to live our lives in peace without being you know beaten and killed and hauled off to jail or you know being forced to move because the people that own the building don't like gay people and persecuted and honestly, yeah persecuted in any any sort of way and again we've come a long way as a country but we still have these you know states that are like uh, Florida with the don't say gay bill. And that's why people are so pissed off about it. And I have a high, I have a hard time discussing this with straight people that don't understand LGBTQ people or issues. And they're like, well, you know, you don't want to talk about five-year-olds having sex. And it's like, that's not the point. That's not what anybody's saying. It's saying, <laughs> if you can, a thing. <laughs> <laughs> right. If, if the teacher in the classroom can talk about her husband and her kids, and she's talking about her sexuality at, at that point. Exactly. At, talking about her sexual orientation, which is perfectly fine. Um, but if you don't include the other family types, you know, two moms, two dads, you know, grandmas, you know, things like that, you don't include those other family types, then you're erasing those types of families for those children at that age, where that's a formative age where, you know, these thought processes are being built, these connections are being built. And you know, I have people uh, that are in my family that are just like, well, they don't understand that. Yeah, I'm sure they, you, you think they don't, but you know, how many times have you heard um, people go, oh, little Johnny, do you have a girlfriend yet? And he's like six. That you're not, you're sexualizing that child at that point. Exactly, exactly. And your point, you're forcing your, uh, your point of view of what they should be doing as far as what their orientation should be and what they should be doing and what five or six year old needs to have a girlfriend in the first place. Exactly. You know? And the, the other, the other side of that is, you know, uh, we all have those people in our lives that are, that are, you know, uh, supportive of us, but they don't understand. And one of the, one of the things I come across is not understanding why that's why the don't say gay bill is so, you know, such a, a wrong thing and they want to attack the sexualization of children but that's the like you said the formative age and that's where we normalize that's where we you know we normalize racism yeah i mean seriously we we you know have black history month we you know do everything we can within our culture uh to normalize when it comes to race, why is sexual orientation or sexuality any different? And exactly. it's not sexualizing children. Mm -hmm. It's it's normalizing mom, dad, 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 mom, mom. Is that such a big deal? Why yeah, does that have to be a big deal? I don't know. It's normalizing relationships. Right. And understanding that those relationships mean that when those kids get older, they're like, oh yeah, I've heard about, you know, somebody having two dads or somebody having two moms, you know, no big deal. And then someone Whereas, doesn't get picked on because they have two dads. Right. And then 
if not, then when they're older, they're like, oh my gosh, I can't, I can't be your friend anymore because you have two dads or two moms, or like you said, they get picked on because. But going back, back to comparing it to racism, you know, that's how we fought racism was, was, was starting to re-indoctrinate our children at an early age instead Mm of waiting till you know, they get older to be like, no, go to college, figure out racism is wrong. Racism is wrong. You know, attacking that when we're responsible for these young people is where you start that change. It's mm-hmm. where you start to kind of, because change, and I've had this discussion with you, Ryan, and <laughs> you want change to be immediate. You want it to be now. Right now. And I get that. I, I feel it too but that's not how it works in the real world. In the real world, it's a bleed out effect. It basically, you know, you get this graduate of, of, you know, the old way of doing things dying out and the new way of doing things coming in. That's Mm -hmm. how you start that change. Right. And so that's why you see um, the elder generation that are like in their sixties and seventies and older clinging, clinging on to power wherever they can to continue to indoctrinate people um, into their hate. And I, think that, I think that's what kind of shocked me about Florida is because it's no, it's no surprise that you have a large geriatric, ger, ugh, I can't speak, geriatric population in Florida mm-hmm. and a lot are right-wing. But to the other point, you have a very, very large LGBTQ population. Um, I had some friends recently that moved down to Fort Lauderdale, and I can tell you they are much happier there than they were in Dallas. And the fact is because they were more accepted and they felt a larger sense of community there. And it's, yeah. it, it, it doesn't make, it makes no sense to me. And it does, it, it's like that city, Fort Lauderdale is great at it, but other places in, in Florida are not. And you also have a huge um, Cuban community yes. that are there as well. Um, but their whole thought is anything that is, and, and the right wing, the Republicans always do this, is anything that they don't like, they call communism. And Cubans came from communism and they'll fight tooth and nail against anything that they believe could be communism or way back to communism or Fidel Castro type things yeah so you have this whole population of people that have children and that have large families that are now dead set against a certain thing or certain group of people because somebody else has indoctrinated them to think that oh that's communist you know we, we let the we let the gays have any say then that's communism right there you know and they'll fight tooth and nail against it so you have both of those large populations um, that are basically kind of in control of the state. And it's sad because, you know, a lot, Cuban people face a lot of discrimination in the U.S. anyways. Um, but like you're saying, Fort Lauderdale, if it's, a, if it's a community or a city that has a huge population of LGBTQ people or Cuban people, they're going to face less discrimination in that area and they're going to feel more safe and secure right, right. versus if they were there. So I think that that's my my thought process on Florida in general. <laughs> Very true. Oh, Florida. But <laughs> <laughs> I love Florida. It's beautiful. But some of the people aren't. 
Mm-mm. No, ma'am. No, sir. So let's move on to our mental health topic today. Robert, do you know what mindfulness meditation is? I have an idea, but I don't think I understand the concept fully. Okay. What is your idea? My idea of mindfulness meditation is actually more just on the line of meditation. It's clearing one's mind of all thoughts and feelings and really just focusing in on your breathing in the here and now. Now, mindfulness meditation may be completely different from that. So I'll let you expound on that. A lot of that is is the same. Um, But the point of mindfulness meditation is um, being aware of your emotions, being aware of your feelings, and being aware of your body, being aware of you. I call that every day. (laughs) 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 Being focused on on you and and your emotions and your health. So we have talked before about uh, radical acceptance. So radical acceptance is one of one of the techniques that is used in mindfulness meditation, where you know you 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 do your breathing exercises and you get into this uh, meditative state and those emotions that come at you or feelings that come at you, you assess them, accept them for what they are and internalize them and move on. Um, so mindfulness meditation is huge all over the world right now. And it's because of that me-centered atmosphere, which is actually really great because um, most places outside of the U.S. are not as individualistic as we are. Um, And I don't know if that's to their detriment or not, but um, being able to focus on self and your needs and your wants and how you need to uh, recognize who you are is great. It's a, it's a big sense of uh, freedom to be able to stop worrying about everybody else and everything else for a little bit and just focus on you. Um, one of the things that has helped me in the past is mindfulness meditation and just being able to take that 10, 15 minutes, 30 minutes, I think I've gotten up to an hour now, of just focusing on my thoughts and emotions and working through those in a positive way. And mindfulness meditation comes in a lot of different ways. They have um, where they uh, talk you through the meditation, you know, where somebody with a soft voice will tell you to think about this now. We're going to walk <laughs> through this field of flowers, things like that. And those are great because um, guided meditation um, is really helpful for people who are new at, at it, uh, people that have difficulty imagining uh, situations or scenarios or places. Some people don't have that ability at all to be able to see or see things in their mind. Right. And so it's like just an internal monologue. So that guided meditation really helps. They have other things that are just like um, sound baths where there's crystal, the crystal bowls are being rung. And those are really amazing. I know we both talked about that before about how that actually, that affects you physically when you it, hear it. It's interesting because, you know, on the psychological level and or on the mental level, what that does mentally, but then when you feel it within the physical being as well, mm-hmm. what that feels like, it's it's like what your mind is doing is now connected to what your body is, is feeling. Right. And it's like, oh, the most, you know, <laughs> amazing feeling in the world. It's super intense. And, and it's something that they've used in Tibet and the Buddhist practice for centuries and then they also have a newer thing called bioreal beats 
uh, where it's actually using frequencies and sounds in that frequency to affect a specific change in your mind and your body. So they have things from frequencies or sounds that are most commonly associated with being able to focus for long periods of time. Frequencies and sounds that are most focused on deep meditation. And so you have all these different wavelengths, um, alpha, theta, beta, and they all go through different focuses in your mind. So the alpha waves are more active, they're more engaging, whereas like theta and delta waves are more like you're going to sleep, you're getting towards that point of such relaxation um, to where you're in a deep meditative state and on your way to sleep, which really helps a lot of people. And, the, and they're just sounds. So they're frequencies and they're sounds. Some of them have sound baths in them, but for the most part, they don't. And they add on top of that nature sounds like running water or rain and things like that that help you stay in that meditative meditative state. So all of these things coupled together are really great practices to use when you're stressed out, when work's not going the way you want it to do to go, when you're having relationship issues, when you just need to take a beat because life is just too difficult at that moment. And they're really, really great ways to reset your mind. I know in a previous episode, we had talked about um, the floating and the sensory deprivation right. and those things. Well, this is kind of the same thing as far as being able to reset, calm down, recenter, refocus. And so I used to use the mindfulness meditation techniques with uh, the group home clients that I had. And before I didn't use it very much for myself personally. So why would I use it for them? Right. Right. We had we had a therapist that were working in our uh, our behavior health clinic, and they were talking about mindfulness meditation and what it was. It was teaching all of us about it, and I was actually working in the group home for an extended period of time, and I was like, these guys are just wild when they get home. Like this is whoo, it's too much, too much energy from being out all day, and even frustration because they already wanted to be home. And then there would be times where, you know, houses would come together um, for, for like a dinner or for the evening or the afternoon or something. And they would be wild, not like hurting each other, but just like toddlers being loud and, and unruly and things like that. And so I started instituting um, a 15 to 30 minute mindfulness meditation whenever they would get there. So everybody would come back from the day program and they would, they would come to my house. I'd have two houses there's like six people and we would go we go okay guys it's time to do our mindfulness meditation and at first they're like what's that and it was just like I explained it to them as best I could you know we're just gonna close our eyes and we're gonna listen to the sounds and we're just gonna calm ourselves down you know get ready for for the rest of the night and you know do that and right. it worked they loved it I loved it because after they were done with that, everybody was super chill and calm. And I could be like, okay, it's time to go clean your room. It's time to let's get your laundry together. Okay, dinner's ready. Let's eat. Time to go out and do our activity for the night. <laughs> and it wasn't a, something that was really difficult. Whereas before it was a lot more challenging to wrangle everybody in and together to do what needed to be done. So mindfulness meditation works with people with intellectual disabilities. If it does for them, it'll work for anybody because, yeah. you know, what I've seen and learned through the many years of learning behavioral techniques, as well as train, training in it, is that 
these techniques that we use for a specific population to corral them and get them together can be used for anyone and everyone. And it's fantastic because most of the people that are outside of the IDD community, no clue you're using it. <laughs> it's super freaking helpful. Uh, I used to have my staff, because uh, I know uh, SAMA, which is Satori Alternatives for Managing Aggression, and I'm trained and certified teaching it. And I used, I got all my staff trained and they would get so irritated with me sometimes because I would start somatizing them because they uh. were in a crisis. They were, they were upset about something. They were super irritated about something. And I knew at that point I wasn't going to get very far with them until they calmed down. So I started using the technique and they had learned it and they were like, oh, stop somatizing me, Ryan. And I'm like, but you're calmed down now, right? And they're like, yeah. I'm like, okay. But the, the mindfulness meditation did the same thing. It calmed everybody down and it was great. And then I started using it more personally. And while I still struggle a lot with a lot of things, um, this week has been hellacious for me in general. Uh, I still fall back on it and focus on it. And it's been making um, strides and getting out of any, you know, work, work induced or, you know, season induced depression or issues that I've been experiencing out here. Yeah, you've been facing a little bit this week and, mm -hmm. you know, living in Seattle, I'm sure does not help at all for seasonal depression. Mm -mm. I did not realize how difficult it was going to be until um, oh, like a week ago. The sun's come comes out now on a regular basis. And I took the dogs down I don't know, like six blocks to the waterfront. I live in downtown. And they were having a great old time. And I'm over here having a great old time. I got a big old smile on my face. I'm like, the sun's on my face. I'm uh, warm and it's nice. I'm sitting on this Feel green it. grass. Feeling like I popped a molly. Like, this is a great day. <laughs> Woo! And I was like, oh, shit. That seasonal depression. Oh, I don't like her. <laughs> yeah, you need to start You need to start going to a tanning bed or something just to, just to get some get some uh rays and feel a little warmer inside and maybe and, uh feel a little serotonin lift because that's yeah i could i couldn't live like that and i completely understand why why it would uh affect you mentally and emotionally i mean and so for anybody out there that's listening try mindfulness meditation you know give it a shot you can go for the ones that are uh, guided or directed you can go for the ones that just have pretty sounds that make you feel mellow. And then, you know, take a few minutes of, out of your day, 10 or 15 minutes, five minutes, and just focus on your breathing and focus on yourself. And, you know, remind yourself that you're wonderful, that you're a bad bitch and that you own it because you do. And doing that will really help bring in some more of that serotonin that we love. And all those different things that we crave or need, which is that silence and that centeredness because of the world that we live in is so 24 seven all the time noisy needing your attention yes noisy but and, I, if, I, and, I if you, recommend it. and i'm also going to recommend if you don't know how to approach mindful med meditation definitely do the guided because it'll help you get in that in that headspace and then you know going forward once you get it down then you know, you can start taking it on yourself. There are tons of different ways to do meditation. Look them up, find the one that works for you in your situation and you and your personality, because there are so many different types. 
Um, it's not a one size fits all. And it allows you to, you know, take time for you. Self-help is, um, self-help, <laughs> what is it called? Self-care is, is really big right now in the news. And that's the reason it's because people are starting to realize that if I don't take care of myself, I'm not going to be able to do all these other things that everybody wants me to do. And so it's really important uh, for us to do that. You got something over there, Rob? I saw you pull down a book. <laughs> I was lo- I was looking and I was like, I should mention this at some point. Um, I had this book at, uh, that Sean had given me. It's called the Do It Yourself Guide. Mm-hmm. Fighting the, the fighting Big Sad. Yeah, it's, it's actually very, very informative. Um, but there's a section in there and I kind of made a, a social media post about it last night or yesterday it was a, on don't waste your time mm-hmm. and uh i can go into them if you want i go for it okay uh number one is don't waste your time with friends you don't love there's a big difference between love and no mm-hmm. um don't waste your time with books you can't give your heart to um this is a big one for me because i don't i just i have to you know to feel a book in my heart before I can actually read it. And if I start reading something and I don't feel it, I put it down. And I know a lot of people that way. Um, don't base, this is me, don't waste your time with bands that don't write for you, but be aware of bands that sing about us. Their us is their us. I have my own us and so do you. Um, don't waste your time with people who are playing you you for status or scene cred um don't waste your time with bandwagon jumpers don't waste your time with anyone who doesn't make up their own mind about a cause you know Mm -hmm. if they're if they're on the fence about everything you know that's hard to hard to get behind um don't waste your time with anything that doesn't make you better in its presence so ryan you make me better in your presence so I would, Same, Bubba. <laughs> I would, I would always waste my time with you. It's not a waste of time. <laughs> no, it's not. It's always a growth process here. And it's funny that you mentioned the one about being on the, the fence about everything. <laughs> <laughs> because, because a lot of times I am, but it's, but I'm on the fence because I'm trying to inform myself. And once I'm informed, mm-hmm. then I attack one side, you know? Yeah. Um, I, I feel, I feel if I'm not informed and I'm not making an informed choice, then I'm being, a, I'm being a fool for yeah. jumping on something that, and to me that, that jumps on a bandwagon. So there's, there's another point in that. Exactly. And then I feel a lot of people in Dallas are out for street cred or for scene oh, cred. Definitely. <laughs> definitely. <laughs> if they're, if they're only your friend, when you see them at the bar. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, it's a, that's, that's, and it's okay to have that. Yeah. But don't have bar friends. Yeah, don't yeah. invest your time in it. Exactly. If it, if that's what it's going to stay, don't invest your time in it. Mm-hmm. Be like, hey, such and such, down at the end of the bar that I always drink with, but I don't see you out of here. All right, right. It's it's bar time. It's you time. After this, it's not <laughs> correct. Correct. Well, thank you everybody for our show. That's going to be it for the day. Um, remember to take care of yourself and take care of each other.